You found the Love Flight podcast. I'm Paul Tizard, Fear of Flying Coach, and I've been helping nervous flyers since 1997. So in this podcast, you are going to find aviation experts, psychologists, coaches, enthusiasts, and people normal, just like you, who have overcome their fears. Welcome. This is Rachel. Now, Rachel, before we get into your episode, and I, I need to, this this person, right, is the reason why we've got the Facebook group the way it is, because Rachel spent some time with me at the very beginning when I was kind of a bit clueless and literally showed me how to set it up. And so a lot of the principles are in place now because of you. So thank you. You're very welcome. You're it also a member of the Love Five Facebook group, aren't you? You're kind of, you're, you're a lurker. I, I do lurk. I do pop on every now and then. Uh, but yes, I've been lurking since since the outset, really. But it was my absolute joy. I mean, it, it's to help me set it up. It's a lovely thing to set up a Facebook community, isn't it? Because it is a proper community in a way that I, other social channels allow for, really. Yeah. I think it's more, yeah, it's... Hug. Get more of a group hug on Facebook. Yeah, it is. And like you said, it's a bit more, bit more casual. You haven't got to be too over the top with it. And uh, yeah. yeah. And I try to keep that sort of motto, and also with the podcast as well. I try to keep it fairly relaxed because I just think, you know, it's, it's too easy to get all uptight and stuff. And I'd rather it be more relaxed. And so the reason Rachel's on today is because we're talking about phobia, and you contacted me to talk about how you got over your dog phobia and the links that you'd made to fear flying and phobias generally. And I thought that that was a really interesting angle. So thank you coming forward so to tell us tell us a bit about yourself first so that people kind of orientate so my name is rachel fitz Dezorga, but everybody calls me rachel fitz d for obvious reasons <laughs> most of the time i call myself rachel fitz d i've got no one to blame but myself though paul because Dezorga has mm. been my maiden name and i insisted on keeping it so i'm rachel fitz d and i my training historically was as a specialist midwife and also as a parenting consultant and I ran those two along each alongside each other for about 30 years and then in 2018 I finally hung up my midwifery hat to focus completely on my parenting work and I'm one of the experts for the baby show so I speak I present and write for the baby show four times a year and then I write very widely across the media and then I'm the author of one parenting book and I am due to have my second book published in January, but that is a geeky as hell. That is not a parenting book. That is a make your eyes bleed sort of boom. <laughs> yes, that's me. And I now found myself as officially semi-retired, but my husband wished that I was more retired than semi. Well, <laughs> mm. you don't strike me as somebody that's going to, do the full retired bit. I think I can imagine always be doing something. Yes, for me, and I think for a lot of people of my age now, retirement is all about choice. Mm. Um, so I chose to call myself semi-retired to, because I knew that there were some aspects of my work, those non-regular things that mm. I wanted to keep up. I knew that I wanted to keep up my baby show work because... That is voluntary and I've always volunteered. Uh, no matter how much paid work I've done, I've always volunteered a lot because I like doing it. So I continue to do my work for the baby show and then also to sort of do a lot of writing. And then I still have my one-to-one -one parenting clients, which I love because I do everything from newborns really right up to 16, 16 and beyond. So teens, I love teens, <laughs> my favorite age teenagers. Toddlers and teens, they're they're my favourites. <laughs> similar sort of tantrums, aren't you? Well, yes, a, a very very similar sort of stages of massive emotional growth. Mm. Also, you get in both those ages, the toddlers and the teens, of this huge push and desire 
for independence and autonomy. Yeah. There's, you know, I love working with parents to enable and empower the parents really to give those toddlers and their teens masses of independence and autonomy whilst putting very, very firm boundaries in place. And that sounds like it's a bit of an oxymoron almost, isn't it? it, it, yeah. it how do you yeah. how do you give them freedom whilst yes fight yes um, and that's why it's a fascinating area of work and I think you get such enormous rewards from those two ages as well anyone that's got toddlers will know you get the biggest cuddles from your toddlers at one time of the day and then all the sort of snotty screaming fits and top at the time of day when they're on the floor like that yeah yeah exactly so the- we're going to have to ask at some point. You're going to have to reveal the T-shirt because that's... I'll, re- I'll do the big reveal. Yeah, so we'd have to read it out. So for those listening, beware! For I'm fearless and therefore powerful. Well, that makes me quite emotional just to read that out. Actually, it's Mary Shelley quote, and me and my amazing—I've got amazing daughter-in-laws. I'm so so fortunate. And my first daughter-in-law, who has she's given birth to my two grandchildren. She, for a whole heap of reasons, has lots of fears and phobias. Mm. And we both have this T-shirt. I support her a lot with her fears and phobias. And actually, I think I was telling you, Paul, she has just completed a one-week trip to Hong Kong on her own for work. Wow. And, you know, this isn't just flying for her. It's the travel. It's being in a foreign country. It's public transport. I cannot begin to tell you the amount of fear that she carries with her. And she's got this. And we've said we must get our granddaughter, well, her daughter, my granddaughter, one of these as well. Just, or everybody should have one really, because yeah. whenever you put it on, you know, you go out into the world and you kind of just, yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay. So it's a mm. great, yeah, it's Mary Shelley. So it's, it's from a really, really good website that does quite a lot of, Strong feminist slogans, yeah. So we'll probably get a rush of those now. And now you've mentioned it, a little upsell. I can give you the link. So tell us, tell us the the. So obviously you've been in the group, you're part of the Love Fly thing, but you yes. jump in every now and then. I think there was something about flying for you in the past, maybe, but there's the the dog phobia. Sounds like that was the the really big fear. That yes, is the reason today. So I have suffered with anxiety and panic attack all my life, all my life. And that is part and parcel of the gene, the the genetic condition about, you know, my, which is my second book, all about that, where it's sort of part and parcel along with a whole heap of other symptoms. But anyone out there, um, I'm talking about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and uh, anxiety and panic is part of that. And of course, you don't grow out of it, sadly. So you really do have to learn management. I didn't fly until I was 19. And my first flight was to Corfu with some midwife mates. Oh, with nursing mates. I was doing my general uh, nursing then. Um, we were going, you know, as you do on a sort of girly trip out to Corfu for a fortnight. And we flew. Um, and um, I was panicking before we left the ground. And in those days, you could smoke and so I had my first flight in my own fag, my first fag <laughs> in about an hour. Because um, they couldn't shut me up. I was just shouting and panicking so much. That was my first flight. Yeah. And so they were plying me with cigarettes. I was copying my lungs up because I'd never smoked before. Whiskey. I mean, they were just, they were obviously larry as hell. And they were just proper, tr- proper nurses then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> shut up, Rachel. You know, they, there's that old film, isn't it? Is it? airport is it or whatever airplane yeah but they used to slap up <laughs> that's it like yeah. just slapping me and so that was my first ever flight but you know it could have been anything in all honesty paul as i say i have i had panic i can remember panic attacks from when i was very young mm. my dog so that was from 19 until recently very recently i've just come back from goza when we flew it was such a good flight and I was giddy with the excitement of letting go of my fear my dog phobia I honestly can't tell you when it began and all children have dog phobias I was telling you before we hit the record button that obviously my work with parents and particularly toddlers 
really understand how phobias develop, where they come from. And so I, I kind of understood how I was phobic, but that didn't translate into giving up my phobia. And I hung on to my dog phobia. Well, until not long ago, Paul, I mean, genuinely, I thought it was about 10 years ago that I gave up my phobia. But one of my children said, no, it wasn't that. It's literally four or five years ago, Mom. And as you know, Paul, I have so given up my phobia that I now live with an enormous kangaroo. I mean, this dog is, whenever I post up pictures, people go, oh my God, she's enormous. Yeah, it's like a horse. It's huge. Like, can, I pick, can I show you a picture? Yeah, yeah. Well, you wouldn't be able to show the real thing, would you? It's massive. No, 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 no. She'd come up and she'd holler. Oops, hang on a minute. You do not want to see that one. I can't show you that one because that was my daughter-in-law to be. Oh, my goodness that, me. Look at the size. <laughs> that is this, my dog. For those listening, this, like this dog. dog is just huge. Oh, so I know. Oh, isn't she? She's absolutely adorable. But it was my decision to get a dog. It is my husband's dog, our dog. But it was my decision to get a dog. And it's been, I've, I did a lot of crying. I had to do a lot of crying because having a dog in my life, my brain, I'd given up my phobia a few years, obviously, a few years prior to having a dog. I can't begin to tell you mm. how scared I was of dogs, how phobic wasn't just fear, it was a phobia, which is different, isn't it? Yeah. Are you telling some stories about when you were little earlier? And I thought that was quite a good example of how phobic you were. Oh, Paul, I can can hardly recognise myself in it now because it was so life-affecting. So what I was telling you is that I have memories of when I was young and I know I was at primary school coming home from playing with one of my friends and these were in the days when parents let their children walk to their mate's house when they were about eight years old and I was about eight I know because I I, I remember the everything that was going on at that time and I was walking home from my friend's house and there was a dog on the road further up a long way away I mean probably three four hundred meters ahead mm. and I was rigid with fear shaking and crying and having a panic attack you know I know what they feel like this was a panic attack and uh some bloke in a car could see would have been able to hear I mean I was absolutely hysterical and pulled up say what the fuck you know you right darling and I couldn't move I couldn't speak because of that dog up there and it felt safer to get in that strange man's car and say take me home please than Mm. continue to walk I was Paralyzed with fear. Mm. And then, of course, I went on to do my uh, my general nursing. That was not a problem. But when I got on to do my midwifery, as part of your midwifery course, and this is back in 1983, I started my midwifery. That's how long ago. You had to do your community stint. Yes. And then it all came out because I couldn't go in houses. It was impacting massively you know you can't concentrate you're not safe in that situation I was a student luckily so I had a grown-up midwife with me but the as it happens the GP that we were working for uh, when I was a student midwife was actually also a medical hypnotist so he hypnotized me she regressed me which is weird if anyone it's not just that you sort of sense it's not that you sort of see pictures in your past but you feel yourself getting smaller so just it's very weird that picked up on the fact that I really that nothing had happened there was no defining moment there was no bite from a dog you don't know how it started it just yeah yeah. and I can I can assume that it started in the same way as most toddlers phobia start I know toddlers are frightened you know generally sometimes their own shadows balloons balloons Dogs are typical. Spiders, you know, why on earth be I'm not frightened of spiders. They're never going to hurt you. Mm. I, and I, that wasn't my fear around dogs. People will say it won't hurt you. With airplanes, they'll say, oh, it's the safest thing. You're thinking you're missing the point. A phobia is irrational. Mm. There's so many things that you can't even put your finger on yes. that will flare you up terribly at, at the thought of your phobia. 
So I had hypnotism and that got me in the door with help. So I would ring ahead. Have you got a dog? Yes. Please, can you make sure it's outside? If I haven't made that phone call, this is a qualified midwife and you get to that house and then you're getting to the door about to knock and you hear, I'd be out there feeling physically sick, panicking, crying. I would have to then ring and say, please, can you put your dog away? But of course, as anyone with a phobia will know, even when I was in that house with the dog locked away, I was on alert. Yeah, of course. Struggling to concentrate on my work. Now I can tell you how I gave up phobia. Would you like to know? Yeah, I do want to because you've used that phrase several times, and I'm thinking that's not going to that hasn't passed me by. I gave up. I gave it up. Because a lot of people say I got rid of it, or I beat it, or I I overcame it. it, You gave it up. This is interesting. You have to accept the fact that you own this. Mm. Absolutely own it. You are given it by the adults around you when you're small, generally, or with me, with a flying, actually with everybody else that was around me, was rushing around trying to rescue me from my... <laughs> and everyone runs around trying to rescue you because that's the kind the worst thing you can possibly do is try and rescue someone. Because, of course, then you never you never get have to face your obstacle enough to get over it and so the obstacle gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger Mm. well okay people are constantly saying to you this obstacle is so big it's so terrifying we cannot allow you to struggle past it you can't be allowed to struggle so you get given these phobias and they can be crippling genuinely crippling but here's the thing we start to define ourselves by those phobias and i was aware of the fact that i'd knock 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 on these doors and they'd say are you all right with dogs? If I hadn't heard a dog and I'd say, I'm frightened of dogs or I'm phobic of dogs. I mm. myself. And then what happened was something very strange because of course everybody says, my dog won't hurt you and my dog's fine. You think that's not the point. Not the point. It's everything about the dog, the face, the hair, the smell, everything yeah. is massively triggering. I went to a home to do a booking. Now, anyone that's had a baby out there will know what I mean when I say I went out to do the booking. I went out to take their history. I was on my own, a qualified midwife, a long-term competent qualified midwife working in the community, went to this house, sat down at her, her breakfast room table to write the notes out. And she had a toddler, so this was a second baby. And as we were writing out the notes, the toddler came and put her head in my lap. So I went to stroke the head. Hello, Poppet. And it was a dog. And it was it it was a greyhound. Now, anyone that knows greyhounds will know that greyhounds, they, they're incredibly vulnerable. They're big. Hounds mm. are beasts. They really are. Mm. So she's shivering. Her head was shivering in my neck. And they're very, very, very quiet dogs as well. Well, the I in that second, I knew that I couldn't fly up. But there was a, a magic moment when I thought that I was stroking that toddler and saying, hello, sweetheart. So I was in that compassionate moment. Yeah, yeah. Realized it was a dog, but I managed to capture that moment. I just managed to capture a split second. I didn't even realize I was doing it till I looked back on it. Capture that positive moment, because normally you're going in with all your negative moments. I'm scared of dogs. I don't like them. <laughs> I managed to capture an amazing <laughs> moment when I looked down. There was this shivering, shaking little creature from the head of this big creature in my lap. And I remember this overwhelming maternal sense of, oh, you poor thing. Now, after that, I came away shaken, a bit sort of bemused. That was not the end of my journey by any stretch of the imagination. But I realized quite quickly then I would have to change the way I defined myself. And very quickly after that, I was in the street. I'd been to see a woman. There'd been a dog. All those flares had come up again, despite this sort of magic moment, because, you know, I didn't hold on to that. Despite that magic moment, and I'd had a really difficult experience, dog in the house, trying to do my work. 
I remember I was in Pangbourne in South Oxfordshire, if anyone knows it. I was that vivid. I really kind of thought, I can't have this anymore. I, and I said it out loud, Paul. I said, I cannot have this in my life anymore. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I cannot have this in my life anymore. And the only way I can describe it, and I am not at all religious, but I can I can imagine it's like an exorcism. And I felt it leave me because I was the only one hanging on to it. Yeah. It was mine to drop, like giving up anything. It was a mine quite literally to drop. And it went. And from that moment on, whenever I went to anybody's house and they said, are you scared of dogs or are you okay with dogs? I took a deep breath. And instead of saying, can you put your dog away or I'm scared of dogs, I redefined myself. And I said, I don't really understand dogs, but I'm trying to learn about them. Mm. And then um, my husband stopped protecting me from every dog in the street. I said to him, can you hold my hand while we speak to this dog? Um, and I actively went out of my way to ask people, can you tell me about the dog? How, you know, what do they eat? Can mm. I see their ears? And then we've got very, very close friends with the, the dog. God, I just got to see in my head now. If you go, um, hope you don't mind. Can you just talk about your dog's ears? Yes, like, oh, my goodness. Genuinely, because they're different from cat's ears. I've always had cats. Doors mm. are really different. They can't retract them. And when we then got our own dog, and by this time I was like a reformed smoker, I was like, give me dogs because... <laughs> Giving up, giving, well, he, you know, my T-shirt says it all really, if you give up your phobia, just give it up. It doesn't serve you at all. And I know that sounds easier said than done. And I know that people will be out there listening and thinking, well, she couldn't have been that bad. It's beyond the pale with, I was, I, you know, you when you know you're going to faint, I haven't ever fainted. But I used to feel that I was going to faint, like I was going to yeah. fall, like I was going to wet myself when there was ever anything doggy on the telly or anything. Mm. Hideous. So <laughs> I gave it up. So even on so that so that's that's a good sign. See, just to pause on that, even if it's on the telly, so nowhere near you was enough to to bring on the symptoms. Oh, just oh yeah, absolutely. Books. My mother-in-law. She doesn't ever know this actually, but she. She once bought me. If people ever say, what was your worst Christmas present ever? I know what it was because my mother-in-law, um, and she loves me very much and I love her very much. She's 93 now. Um, but she obviously wasn't thinking straight or she, maybe she'd got it for another member of the family. She bought me a tray that, you know, when sort of like care in the community or something, people will make trays and they're a photograph and then you'd get some sort of weaving around the edge. Yeah. It was yeah. one of those. And I opened it up and she was with me. And it was a picture of an Alsatian. But <laughs> like, you're going to be both of the dogs, Alsatian. Yeah, exactly. Wolf, killer. I mean, it's just... And I said to my husband, what was she thinking of? And did you react when it, when you opened it? I, I, put it, I put it back in very, very quickly and said, thank you very much. Covered it up. And then said to my husband, what, what was she thinking of? That's just bonkers. It was never used. It, I have to say, you know, it went into a car boot cell or something. I thought, I can't have that in my life. So having decided that we were going to get a dog, what was interesting and I hadn't anticipated was that my brain hadn't quite caught up in some ways. So I cried a lot for about six months because I'd accepted this dog into our life. It came as a puppy, but quite a big puppy. It was four or five months old, which as you all know, Paul, you know, you you know dogs is a is but a big hound. It wasn't yeah. it, it never was able to sit, you know, like this. It was a bloody great big dog. So I had this dog in my life, but it was like my brain would sometimes catch the dog house and would scream at me and say, What are you thinking of? Mm. What's that doing in the house? And I would suddenly flood and cry. And my husband would say, you're right. And I'm saying, it's just all a bit much. And I would have to, you know, go through and get that happy moment again. And 
you know, sort of reconnect myself. All I can tell you now is that I adore that. I adore that dog. But that I say, any dog, any dog, it's madness. Any dog you can bring towards me. They can be barking. They can be chomping up. But I spent a lot of time examining the dog, looking at her hairy belly and checking her teeth. Tim used to, my husband used to, I say, can you help me look in her mouth? And he used to pull up her lips and he used to show me her teeth and her gums and let me, because she's a, a very, very, very easygoing dog, and let me touch her teeth so that I could properly, properly get to know my own fear, really. You know, it's 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 a massive, massive thing, massive thing. You know, I wouldn't ever underestimate it. But interestingly, you know, what I was saying about us giving it up, the one thing that I hadn't really anticipated is because you've defined yourself like this, that's just what can make it difficult to give up. I spoke yes. about this. My niece is phobic of spiders. And my brother said, can you talk to your niece and help her to give up her fear of spiders? And I said, well, I can try. So we talked and I said to her, this is my experience of how we get phobias and this is my experience of how we live with phobias and this is what I would say if you want to give up your phobia you have to just give it up you know but I said to her you have to be ready and I'm going to ask you now is there something about your phobia that serves you rather well that is stopping you giving it up and she thought she's a really smart cookie and she thought for quite a while and she said actually auntie Rachel I'm not ready to give it up. And I said, oh, tell me about that. And she said, well, when I'm out with groups of friends, they all know that I'm scared of spiders. And it gives me a sort of kudos that I can't quite explain because I'm the only one in the group that's scared of spiders. And so she realized, and she was big enough to accept the fact, it's a bit of attention. And I've had to accept the fact that when I go into groups now, they'll say, but I thought you were scared of dogs. I always told you that dogs were great. And that is having to eat humble pie. And I have to say, I was just, I was wrong. I was phobic and I was wrong. Dogs are amazing. Yes. And I'm in the process of having to do that with flying because I I took my dog phobia thing and plunked it onto my flying thing. And as I say, I just had an amazing flight from Gozo. And it was not an easy flight. It was not an easy flight at all. Because... Because one, the I here's the thing. One of the things we do with phobias, and with any fear, and with any sort of anxiety, really, is we go into that scared space. Maybe we've gone to an airport, or we're thinking about it. Actually, Paul, I am booking my holiday, and now I'm thinking about the flight. And there is a nanosecond when I think. Ooh, I've got to fly. And I hang on to that. Ooh, I've got to fly. And then we polish it and we build it up and we let it take off a life on its own. And fabulous moments in a flight, but we decide not to hang on to those. So when we were on the flight, I'd made the decision that I was going to monitor my own thoughts. I was going to monitor my own behavior to see, isn't that interesting? Mm. First of all, we would had to walk, walk. It was one of those where you sort of walk across the tarmac to get onto the plane. This was at Heathrow because it was only a little plane. Now, normally I walk onto the big planes and my anxious head says, that's a big plane. It'll never stay in the sky. And I then hang on to that and I take it with me like my little prize so that I can carry on being a mess. And I'm a screamer in airplanes, a proper full on, full on right. screamer in mm. airplanes things genuinely i'm not i'm exaggerating but you hold on to that nice little fear and let it grow and grow until you're a raging mess this was a small airplane and i caught myself walking across the tarmac and my first thought was that's a bit small that's going to flap about a lot and then i thought isn't that interesting so my first thought before we got on the airplane was isn't that interesting i've already yeah thought a negative thought and so i switched it around and thought well, that's a nice little airplane. This is going to be fun. And I decided to hang on to that one and I took mm. that. Mm. Next thing was, as I reached my seat, the lady looked at me and she said, oh, I'm glad to see you're not a beast. 
I said, what? Exactly. Sorry. And she said, because I don't want fat persons sitting next to me because they're going to take up all my space. Oh my goodness. And I was, so I thought, oh, you know, again, just sort of calm down, get in your seat, turn to your husband, make light. But then she wouldn't shut up the whole flight. And it was awful because she was racist. Um, and she was telling us all horrible things about the place we were going to go on holiday to Gozo. And it was awful. My, I was looking at my husband. We were trying to sort of disengage her from our oh. Luckily, I was sat by the window and we went over the Swiss Alps. And again, I caught myself out. I caught myself doing it. My first thought was, look, look at that. Quickly followed by, hope we don't fly too low. We're going over the Alps. What if we get stuck? What if we crash into the Alps? Nobody would ever find us. What will it be like to crash? And I caught myself doing that. And so I thought, stop it. Go back to the lovely thought. So I took lots of videos, which I haven't posted up yet because I felt too shy. But I've got beautiful, beautiful videos of us flying over the Alps and me going, look at that. Um. Isn't that stunning? Desperately trying to ignore this woman at the end. Anyway, over the Alps, the bloke on the next aisle collapsed. And that's another sort of big trigger for those of us who are scared of flying, you know, somebody dying on the aeroplane, yeah? And mm. initially it looked like he'd had a heart attack and he won't be around from it. And I'm thinking, well, I'm I'm the one who's I'm the one who's trained to resuscitate. I'm gonna have to go and do all this. And my husband's sort of hitting me back. And then it looked like he'd had a stroke, but actually what had happened was he'd had a very, very, very heavy faint and was not coming around from it. But you know what? They put out an emergency message. A doctor and um, his mum, who was also a nurse, came up. They dealt with him. It was all dealt with beautifully. Yeah. And then again, I let myself get caught up in this drama, which wasn't my drama after all. Mm-hmm. Noticed that there were other people further back who hadn't known what would ha- what was happening. And they were just chatting away and enjoying the ride. And so I tuned into them and made the decision to listen to them. So, yeah, on the way back, terrible turbulence. Terrible turbulence. And... I, again, I could feel the panic going, but my husband's an engineer, and so he was just like loving every minute. And so I really worked very hard. That was a moment by moment working, mm. by moment working on saying what you know you always say: it's uncomfortable, but it's safe. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. I also look at the clouds and realize that it's, it's the clouds can make it worse, mm. and I see the clouds as a road. Yeah. I realized, oh, I love a bumpy road. Yeah. Humpback bridges. I actually love fairground rides. So I love big dippers. So I chose to hang on to that. Mm. I could have chosen lots and lots of stupid, hopeless, yeah, thoughts, but I chose to hang on to good ones because I couldn't do anything about it. No bloody parachutes on airplanes, Paul. That is the problem. Yeah, but would you want to, you know, would you get in one? <laughs> I wouldn't. Sod that. Actually, I'd on the aircraft. I would. I would. I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind a, a parachute. But I guess, you know, what I'm saying is that there are a gazillion moments mm. in my experiences with dogs, my experience of an airplane, when actually you get lots and lots of okay moments. But we let those pass. Yeah. And then we hook on to the, the moment that is difficult. I haven't yet faced into going down the pub with my, oh, I've got a group of friends that I play badminton with and I've been out of badminton for a year. And one of those friends is an engineer for Virgin. And I have been having conversations with him for, for 30 years now about being frightened of flying and saying, you know, being in the air, being in the air is madness. I do it but it's madness and having to listen to him saying, oh, it's all, it's all safe. It's the safest way of traveling. And me saying, stop, just, 
I'm going to have to go and eat humble pie. So now I've got to go and eat humble pie with all these people about dogs. And now I've got to go down the pub and listen to everyone saying, oh, I told you the aeroplanes were all right. And we haven't said yay. So would you say you're rogue? So are you an ex-phobic dogs, ex-phobic flyer? Or is there still work to be done? Work to be, no work to be done with dogs. With flying, it's not so easy to expose yourself to flying. Mm. But I am giving myself a pat on the back and saying, I'm going to class myself as an ex-phobic. But it's always a journey. Yeah. It's a, it's, pardon the pun. It's going to continue to be a journey because there are so many different things I haven't been exposed to with flying. I haven't been exposed to a situation where the air thingy bob comes down. Yeah. It's, that's the technical term, I believe. Yeah, the air thingy bob. No, it's, no that's technically correct. That's what, that's what they're called, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I've been, no. been in some rough turbulence. I have also had some skiddy landings because I'm one of those people that will always work walk towards my fear now. Mm. So even though I don't like flying, I'm learning about flying. Even though I'm still learning about flying, zip, I'm not there yet. And yeah, I will still do it because I like the holidays. Yeah. So what what are you using from your dog phobia curing? How are you applying that to the, the, the fear of flying? So my main things are to change, like Ben, I, I said, oh, although I'm still, I don't like flying, just stopping that, correcting myself and saying I'm learning, learning about airplanes, I'm learning about flying. I was very careful when I went on the Facebook group before flying to just look at all the lovely videos and actually steer myself away from some of the scary stories, not the scary stories of things that happened, but of people being frightened. Yeah. Because that I don't need. You know, it's too easy to hook onto that and then let it sort of Mm. rip you. Yes. And also the other thing that I'm doing is making absolute certain that I don't let people rescue me. Because rescuing, as I know, say from my parenting work, rescuing, people reassuring you is not helpful. Yeah. What you need really is to be allowed to be genuinely in your own time, be completely with, completely present actually Mm. with your fear. Even if you're having a panic attack, and I'll say I've been having these all my life, I think if anyone's ever had a panic attack, then you know that the best thing that somebody can do is not try and talk you out of it, not try and fuss around. Just the worst thing when you're having a panic attack, but somebody just there to sit there looking a little bit bored, actually. Almost as if to say, when you're done. When you when you're this done. Is the, this is the magic, is it secret sauce? Yeah, just not bored. Here's genuinely, do you want me to tell you how, how we get phobias as toddlers? Mm. because toddlerhood is a typical age for getting phobias as anyone there with toddlers will know but also of course because they become verbal so they start to use language and of course they will only use the language that we've given them Mm. they will use words like scared so for instance a typical one would be hand dryers now you know these very very fast blowing um, hand dryers they're very very pitched a lot of kids will take fright at them. And then what happens is that the, so understandably, the first time they hear it, the first time they feel it, that it's a new thing. Um, Everybody runs to reassure and rescue the child. Take the child out, cover their ears. And what happens with little ones, I was telling you, this happened with my grandson with ants. The first time he was a toddler and there were lots and lots of ants around, he went, oh. And all the grown-ups did what they would do with hand dryers, with dogs, uh, with anything else. All the adults run into that space and say, and what adults don't realize is that when you go into your high reassuring voice, it sounds anything except reassuring because the high-pitched voice is the one that we naturally go into when we're having a panic attack, when we're crying. And I would challenge anyone out there to have a really ugly cry in a high-pitched voice. I mean, in a low voice, rather, because you always go into your high-pitched. Mm. You can't have an ugly cry like that. 
We tend to go into high voice. And when we're having a panic, we go into our very... And so the child hears that and sees that and they're not very verbal yet. And so your your words mm-hmm. make this is okay. Don't be frightened. This can't hurt you. But anything else about that adult is saying, this isn't safe. And then mm-hmm. if we take them away, we say to them effectively, you cannot be allowed to experience overcoming this obstacle. And that is how we get off the bogus. We have the initial fear but then the adults cement it and they mm-hmm. use the words like, don't be scared. It won't hurt you. Frankly, they'd never heard, thought that it might hurt them. They bloody do now. It's like my dentist always said, never, ever, ever say to your children when you take them to the dentist, don't worry, the dentist won't hurt. Because they've never had that idea in the first place. But you've popped that into their heads. Yes. So that's how you see it. Phobias emerge with toddlers because the people around them rescue them. You never rescue a child from their own shadow, and yet most children will have a moment when they're frightened of their shadow, but you can't. You can't rescue them from their shadow. And so we tend to just say, oh, you're fine. That's just just shadow. Look at mine. Get over yourself. And we march on. (laughs) But with dogs, my mother would have gone in front of me. She would have pulled me away. She would have held me up. She would have told the people, take the dog away. Like, you know, all of those sorts of things. we yeah. And we also do it with, with flying. You know, people come to the rescue and give you all, yeah, all sorts of things about, well, it won't fall out of the sky. It's really safe. And you're thinking, this is irrational. <laughs> My fear is irrational. I know it's irrational. And so, yeah. Gave it up, yeah. My- Be ready to give it up, though, Paul, because I'll say, if it's serving you, mm. It is if that fear is serving you because it gets your attention, you have to be really honest. Is this how you're defining yourself? Yeah. It's a tricky one. Yeah, I've I've often used that question, what's the what's the secret benefit that you'll get into having this fear? And I don't tend to ask people as a group because no one's going to admit it, but I get them to write it down. Um and or if it's one to one, I'll say, Come on, you know, what is it? And and, and often people will go well, it means that, like celebrities develop fear of flying. They may have had it before, they may not have done. But I believe for some of them, it's about having no control over what they do, where they go. And all of a sudden, they get a little modicum of control back. Like, oh, great. I can say no to that trip or I can say, oh, yes, but on my terms, special measures will be put in place. And you can see that it has a benefit, you know. So no one's ever going to admit that publicly but i know some have told me privately you know that's a really interesting thing actually because you know i said i'm a screamer and i'd gone on this flight and you know you'll say oh tell tell the flight assistants of the attendants when you get in that you're phobic of flying so as i went in and said hi um i may i'm not like i'm just like a rabbit in headlights hello I'm not good at flying. I'm scared. I'm scared of flying. Will you look out for me? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. So they strapped into our seats and there was hideous turbulence. Well, I tell you what, they're not going to come and save you because they're strapped in fall. And that Mm. was, that was probably the best moment for me because it was the flight before my current one to the Gozo. And I was full on screaming. I'm genuinely Paul. I mean, I wasn't like sort of going, I I was saying, help me. Believe me, at the top of my voice, everyone turning around. My husband, bless him, the engineer turned to me and said, if we're going down, Rachel, I can't save you. (laughs) But actually, my husband being, not get a grip, but just, look, love, this is completely out of your control. But also looking up and realising that I had shouted, please come and save my sorry backside. And those flight attendants carried on reading their books and they did not budge. They didn't come and save me. Best thing ever. Because oh. to go through it with no help, no support. My husband's there reading his book, putting his feet up. This is a this is a fun ride. Everybody else around me is probably thinking, what the hell is wrong with that woman? Nobody came to my rescue. Best thing. Yeah. Because you go through it and you realise that you haven't died. Yeah. 
I know anyway that panic attacks don't kill you. They're horrible. They're hideous. They're very, they're uncomfortable, but they don't, they don't kill you. Panic attacks are uncomfortable, but they save you. And yeah, it was probably, it's only since she said that, I realized that probably that was a, quite a turning point for me was having a mm. full on scream, nobody giving a toss and me coming through the other side. Very empowering. Do you know what? So the wisdom I'm getting from you, right, is that you give it up. And if, so, and if you are going to have a panic attack, you've got, to, you've got to either not give a toss or look bored. And that's the that's what you require. Don't rescue you. Don't, don't rescue you. I mean, the, the thing is, when I'm having, if I'm having panic attacks now, my husband just hugs me. But I know that Rod is hugging me. He's also watching the telly. He's providing that rock. <laughs> He's providing rock. I I do need somebody just to hold me to contain that. Mm. But the, I think the secret is is not to be dismissive, but to ex- for anyone with you to accept the fact that it's not their crisis. Mm. So they don't need to buy into that crisis. They can just keep their cool. You know, I've had panic attacks in the presence of professionals. I've had a lot of them. I've had. I've had an attack in yeah in the room with a clinical psychologist, and it's seriously they pretty much put her feet up on the table and crossed her not in a horrible way, but just waited it out. And you have that moment of thinking, aren't you going to help me? Aren't you going to talk to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trained to just uh, let let you go and see how long it goes on for. Just, yeah. They say nothing. They just let it ride out and. I mean, it's not a cruel thing, isn't it? You shouldn't ever do it in an unkind way. You should be present and content mm. when mm. somebody is having a panic attack. But don't try and stop it. It's the worst thing you can do. Same with toddlers. Give them love. Give them support. Or carry on cooking your dinner whilst they throw you know, themselves on the floor and howl in their snotty way. And provide that very, very confident sight really of everything's fine just having a panic so can this will go if you run around and panic with them you you rev it up yeah very well really interesting that is and you've come at it from quite a different angle to what other people have said in the past yes and I think that the, what you do, what what I benefited from, in, well, I continue to benefit from in your group, and I, I can see so many people benefiting from it, is the knowledge, the understanding about how airplanes work. Mm. That That is people need to see under the bonnet. Like I got my husband to open my dog's mouth. That's, that is much, much more, much more powerful mm. than rescued and you know walk towards that flight get on that flight but arms yeah with diagrams if necessary of the the wiring do you know what I mean my husband he because he's an engineer and he worked on airplanes he's a graduate engineer from you know he did did it all at university and everything and he's worked on all sorts of things but um he worked for Doughties that made undercarriages for jumbo used to be undercarriages for Concorde and jumbo jets and so he he understands how they work and he thinks it's fascinating. So I've often said to him, what's that noise? And he'll tell me. Sometimes it sounds like they've sometimes it sounds like that they've slipped a gear or something. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, like when, when you've lost all power in the car for a moment. It sounds Yeah. Like... And I say to him, why is why has it suddenly gone quiet? And he will explain to me. Or what's that noise? And he'll say, oh, it's the wheels coming out ready for landing or something. He'll just tell me. Um, and that is where where I've dived into your group. It's to look for that detail. So talking to pilots, it's the talks with the pilots, mm-hmm. the information about how aeroplanes are put together. I don't need to know. I don't need people to keep telling me, oh, they're the safest form of travel because it's not only as a battle. No. It's irrational. We all know that it's safe. It's a lack of control. It's the unknown. And it is because we love as humans to scare ourselves. So it's why we've got horror movies. So we love to pick up on that one tiny moment that gives us that frisson and fear. And then we hang on to that. Bonkers, really. 
that's my tips worth. Oh, I love it, Rachel. That's brilliant. So let's just push you for one final tip then from your experience of a lifetime of yeah. being phobic, being phobic, yeah, and you know, and and doing amazing things despite it and in spite of it. What would be your final tip for people? I think exactly as you were saying, interrogate yourself. What, why am I holding on to this? How is it serving me? And then this is two tips. I'm going to, but it's... That's all right. Two tips is good. There's a colon. So so it's, it's one tip, but with a colon. That's all um, right. Yeah. As long so, as it's grammatically correct, we don't Exactly. Like. Exactly. So the other, or in ellipses, the other half of the colon is um, redefining yourself. Stop saying, I'm scared of flying. Stop saying, I'm frightened of flying. I don't like flying. I'm phobic of flying. And start saying, I- I'm learning about airplanes. I'm learning about how to fly confidently. Mm. Switch it around. Dare to redefine yourself and accept the fact that you might just be wrong. You might actually not be phobic or scared of flying. You've decided absolutely hang on to that why we do it i don't know but we should be asking ourselves that question why am i hanging on to this go the other side of it is mind-blowing i mean genuinely giving Mm. up giving up a phobia is like no other experience second only to giving birth (laughs) oh amazing rachel fitz brilliant Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. That was just that. It's lovely to reconnect with you again after you helped so much in the early days. Getting the Love Fly Facebook group going and uh, give me those little tips like set it up like this and don't put that. Make sure you do this and pin this at the top. All those things I've done religiously because of your advice. So thank you. Well, I'm delighted. I have to say it is an absolute thrill to see your community not only thriving and doing so well, but genuinely to to helping people. I say it's that that massive well of knowledge about flying and about aeroplanes that actually is what is so helpful mm. that phobics need. They do not need taking away from it. They need immersing in it. Massive immersion therapy is great. Thank you. You're very welcome. Lovely to see you. Thank you for listening to the Love Fly podcast. I hope you're finding it helpful with your fear of flying. Now, if you do need some extra tailored help, you can go to our website, lovefly.co.uk and click on the courses button. You'll find more help there, such as our 30-day program and our on-demand webinar. Thanks again. See you next time.